Nook Nation, and welcome to a brand new, finally, a brand new edition of the Nook Nation podcast right here on the Chinook Social Network. I'm your assistant GM, Eric Snodgrass, and joining me today, back on the podcast, your voice of the Lakeshore Chinook since day one, Mr. Matt Menzel. Matt, welcome back to the Nook Nation podcast. Eric, it is great to be back and talking about something current like Lakeshore Chinook baseball. And it has been probably the craziest time in the world and in the world of sports we'll ever see. Hopefully, we never have to deal with something like this ever again. How have you been uh, holding up the last month since this kind of broke in the United States? Well, I think I'm starting to scare my kids because I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm, I'm, I'm doing play-by-play of just my everyday routine of getting off the chair, doing dishes, doing the wash, whatever the case may be. But for the most part, holding up pretty well. But, but like everybody else, is eager to – see something get on the schedule sports-wise and figure out when this may end and when we can get back to some type of normality. Yeah, and sports probably have it the hardest just because they have the most people in the congregated area, especially with summer coming up, and they've never, the country's never dealt with this before, so nobody knows how to properly prepare for this. You know, I mean, we field questions every day if we're going to play or not, and sadly, we are, we're unable to give them an answer on anything. No, you know, my last sporting event was on Friday the 13th back in March. I was doing a JUCO Women's Basketball National Championship, and it's an event that went from three days down to two, went from everybody playing three games to single elimination. And it was bizarre because fans were not allowed in. But then on top of that, the team benches, the chairs were kind of like a game musical. Chairs are kind of placed all over the place, and and they kept people separated. They had those uh, soap hand dispensers at the end of each side of the scores table. But, you know, I, I believe at least for the time being, that type of scene might become the new, uh, again, the new normal, at least for now, until we can start to get more information about what exactly this coronavirus is all about. I'd agree. I think between the players and the fan safety, you know, we're very hard at work putting new safety and health procedures on the concession side of it. But I was following all your updates to the D3 tournament there. I was actually in <laughs> Jamaica that week. Um, on vacation and we had really bad internet so we'd be sitting by the pool and somebody would walk by and say March Madness just got canceled you know and then everyone's phones were going off when the NBA got called on I think it was a Wednesday night and then MLB it was just unreal being you know thousands of miles away and just life shutting down the U.S. but hopefully in the coming months we'll get past it Uh, we Northern released a statement about mid-March uh they haven't suspended or canceled any games yet. Uh, we're about 50 days out or so, so we're still kind of holding, seeing what's going to happen. Obviously, the Lakeshore Chinooks and the Northwoods League are following all local, state, and federal guidelines. So, as I mentioned, players, staff, interns, um, everybody's and fans, their health comes first. So, once we have an update, we'll make sure to update everybody on that. And, Matt, breaking news, I don't think I've even told you about this yet. One thing that has come out of the coronavirus is – the Northwoods League is expanding its rosters from 30 to 35 guys for the 2020 season. No kidding. Yep. So uh, any seniors now eligible, obviously a lot of guys kind of lost their shot to play in front of the scouts before the MLB draft, which we don't know when the MLB draft will be either now. But um, any senior now can join the Lakeshore Chinooks. You used to be able to take four senior pitchers, I believe was the official rule, but uh, you can add five more. So we're kind of hoping with this, you know, we get a lot of weekend starters from a lot of top-tier universities. So it, it should be interesting the talent the Northwoods League gets this year. I was going to say, that it's funny because the first thing that came to my mind when you said that is is the pitching. That's the first thing that my mind goes toward is now all of a sudden teams may have 
you know, bigger bullpens or, or maybe they have more of a legit staff. And so now you're looking at, you know, if the season does get started, when it gets started, all of a sudden, maybe when the dog days of summer come a call and pitching isn't an issue like it has been in years past. And hopefully the bigger universities, the SECs of the world, they'll let their guys stay a little longer. You know, a lot of players are put on inning limits now. And since they're getting no innings in the spring, hopefully if we're playing in the summer, they'll get a little more time uh, at Capco Park with us. So but we're really following, you know, the Northwest League really kind of following suit of what minor league baseball and major league baseball does. So hopefully in the next few weeks here, we'll have a little better picture if we're going to be able to join America's pastime this summer. But this is without Dolly, probably one of the weirdest and strangest times we'll ever yes. see in our lifetime. So we figured, how about that as a topic for this week's Nook Nation podcast? We're going to look at the weirdest, the strangest, the funniest, and the most unique moments in Chinook's history over the past eight seasons. I think let's start kind of with um, moments at Capco Park. So um, you and me have shared a lot of moments with each other. I went and talked to Dean Brennecke, Sean Keeson, Jacob, Ari, Chris, a lot of the folks that have been a part of this over the past years and have since moved on. But a lot of strange moments out there that you scratch your head and you can't believe it happened. Let's start with Capco Park. We'll look at Capco Park. We'll talk about the weirdest things that happened on the field and just some strange things that happened in the offseason. But Capco Park, Matt, why don't you start us off with some of the weirdest and strangest moments in Chinook's history over at beautiful Capco Park. Well, I want to start, and you and I have told this story about a thousand times in the various, you know, shows we've done. But I'll start with, with the first ever home game and, and the, the umpire delay that, that occurred back on uh, June 4th of 2012. We had the Eau Claire Express in town. You know, first opportunity to introduce the Chinooks to, you know, the Lakeshore, but also the Northwoods League in, in that venue. And all of a sudden, right away, almost, you know, maybe a few pitches into the game, umpire, umpire took a pitch. I, you know, I, I looked at my notes. I looked at my scorecard from this game, and I wrote in there, off a hop. So he took the pitch off a hop into the groin, left the game. Now, I'm, you know, for me, you know, as the years have passed, it seemed like it was a very long, lengthy delay. I wrote in my notes it was only a 22-minute delay. So at the time, really? it, it seemed a lot longer than that. It I thought like it was about 45 minutes, but maybe it wasn't. That's, that's what I thought, but. I put 22 minutes in, and it, that's going back to 2012 when I apparently put that note in my, my scorecard. But the, the, the thing about it is, okay, so the umpire left. He eventually came back and umped the field, and then he came back a couple of weeks later against the Green Bay Bullfrogs, and almost the same exact thing occurred, and, and that was the end of his Northwoods League umpiring career. But, I mean, you talk about, you know, it, it happens once, okay, but, again, the same umpire twice in about a two-week span, I mean, that, that's pretty odd. That's At the same weird. location. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if we were a few games in or a few seasons in, you know, we kind of have some small entertainment plans in place during fog or rain or whatever, you know, sing along, dance along, the players will do stuff on the field. But this is our first game. Like, we're an hour and a half into our operation. You know, so I kept hearing, like, the organ music going. I just couldn't figure out what the <laughs> delay was. And, you know, the first – challenge was getting everyone into the stadium we got everyone into the stadium and then that happened so yeah that and we haven't seen it since we haven't had a delay an ump delay like that since we had one ump um i believe he passed out from you know overheated and it was probably a season or two ago but that was a lengthy delay as well so i shouldn't laugh because it was a serious situation but i guess i laughed because when i made this when i put this list together and i know you put your own list together it, it seemed like I put four or five things that involved an umpire on this list. 
And and you're right. You know, you talk about the heat delay, and it seemed like okay, yeah, the heat delay, from the, the one umpire that passed out, but it, it seemed like for about a two or three week stretch during that same year, you had issues with umpires being dehydrated. Now maybe not delay, but it seemed like there was something that occurred because of the heat, whatever, and it may be because of all that gear they have on if you're behind home plate, but it seemed like it never failed that we had some kind of an issue at Capitol Park, maybe the, the heat coming off the, the turf, but for about a two-week stretch there, it seemed like a heat delay or umpires having to get uh, hydrated, that, that was an issue. Yeah, and the problem with those, you know, you mentioned the one up went out into the field. Well, then the umps got to go down to the locker room. They all got to switch their gear. That takes 20, 30 minutes. So the, <laughs> yeah, you know, it does. You get the problem resolved, but then they got to get, you know, geared back up and everything. I think the last unique moment I remember um, with umps, it had to be probably three or four seasons ago. Um, they were coming, I believe, from Michigan, and they got stopped in Chicago. They were just yep. in dead stop traffic. Um, they hadn't shown up for their pregame meal. They were in contact with us, and they just couldn't get here in time. And we went with local, I think, just high school umps. Uh, I remember our whole family coordinator, uh, Lorna Schultz, hit her son, Kevin, um, who came to every game, went and got his gear, and he umped. And we had high school umps for a game in the North Northwoods League. And they actually did a really good job. I remember we were watching saying, these guys are doing a great job up in this thing. That was, by the way, that was July 1st of 2015. It was when it occurred, and, and the Woodchucks were in town. And you're right, the game was delayed. They found three, I think, umpires that did a lot of local high school and maybe yep. Land Lakes-type baseball games. And, and you're right, it, the game was smooth. Uh, it had a nice pace to it, a consistent strike zone, which is always key. It, it, it's funny because I looked this up. So that was July 1st of 2015. You go back. Three years before that, on July 1st, 2012, again, the Woodchucks were in town. That game was delayed because you had umpires who were caught in Brewers traffic coming from Madison. So huh. it, it, it's happened a couple of times, but, you know, I guess it's part of the, the, the maturation, the, the, the learning process an umpire is, is you know, you, you got to account for, you know, things out of your control. Traffic, a great example. Getting from one game to the next, and, and it's occurred a few times. And this is why Matt Menzel is perfect for any Chinooks discussion because he is the human <laughs> encyclopedia with Chinooks. He can tell you any date. Um, let's go back to opening day. Even the evening before, uh, Dean Renneke kind of submitted this story. It was 3 a.m. In, in the morning of opening day, and the video board still wasn't up. The poles were in the ground, but it had been strong winds for like 48 hours straight. The crews had been out there nonstop, and they just couldn't get it up. So he finally gave up. He went home. I think about 7, 8 o'clock, they finally put the video board up. And then Sean Becker, who was a big help for us from K-Nation Entertainment, he got it all installed. I mean, the construction workers were literally going out one exit, and the fans are coming through the gates. I mean, we had that thing down to the wire. And thankfully, we got it off in time. But, um, you know, you think you're prepared. You cross everything off your list. And I remember I was the manager of sales the first season, and our ticket booth got done about two days before opening day. I went out and tested all the equipment. I didn't log on to the internet. I logged on to the internet, get our credit card processor ready. And I didn't know if you did a different location, you had to get a, uh, a password, which I didn't know. So here it's 5.30, we're supposed to open the gates. And you know, I got an owner in the ticket booth asking why we're not selling tickets yet. So you can be as prepared as you think you are for your first day with a new team, but you're always gonna forget something uh, on the first day of a new organization. I would say the next thing that has kind of haunted us over at Capco Park, some years worse than others, 
it's got to be the fog. The whole – you're not kidding. And, and it, boy, it, it always seems like there's a, a week or two in June. And I know, it, you know, talking with various weather meteorologists and, and such that, you know, Lake Michigan, the water temperature, the air temperature all factors in. But it always seems like there's that one stretch. And, you know, you go back to, okay, this past season, July 20th, uh, 2019, the Green Bay Booyah in town. and and, you know, end up being a 25-minute delay before they call the game. But within that, that delay, you had a gigantic game of duck-duck-goose breakout between the two teams. They had a dance-off among some of the other, you know, things that have taken place. But, but you're right, you know, the fog has come and gone year in, year out. I got myself in trouble, I think it was two years ago, where all of a sudden the fog came in, and I'm, I'm, I'm packing up already. I'm thinking, okay, this game's, you know, they're going to bang it. It's going to be made up later date because you look at the – you know, the previous instances, and that's always been the case. And go figure, this is the one game where all of a sudden the wind switches direction. There goes the fog, and there being a I – don't, I don't know if it was a 7.30, 8 o'clock start as opposed to 6.35, but next thing you know, we're playing baseball, and you got to get back into that mental mindset of, hey, it's game on. Yeah, and, you know, with the fog, we've had days where it's just sat there, but we've had games where it's come in, it's completely left, players start warming up, we're about to start playing and it rolls back in and it does it on repeat for two or three hours. And one issue we run into in the city of Mequon is we have a curfew at 11. So we can't just sit there all night. So yeah, the early years I remember best, we had it probably to be 2013 or 14 where you mentioned we literally, you, it was like clockwork Monday through yeah. Friday around seven o'clock after for a six thirty start. It just rolled in every day. Like you just planned for it. And luckily we had a few seasons there. It wasn't as bad. Um, the one interesting fog issue we had one year, I think it was 2015. Do you remember the year Canada had a bunch of wildfires and the smoke oh, yeah. and fog came down and we got delayed from that? I remember I got to the ballpark and I couldn't understand what the heck was the smell out there. And our assistant GM at the time, Chad Bauer, told me it was Canadian wildfires. And I thought he was crazy. I couldn't believe it. But sure enough, that smoke and fog rolled through our area. And I don't remember if we got the game in or not, but. It's just something fog it consumes us every year at Capitol Park. One of the draw or one of the uh, challenges of playing on Lake Michigan. I'm glad you brought up Chad's name though. And and it's speaking of weather, I had to bring up the incident though back on June eleventh of twenty fourteen. Madison's in town, nagging rain. I mean it wasn't raining hard, but it was just that 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 pest, it just you know, spring, spr- sprinkling just enough that that you know it's it's you know it's it's raining, it's coming down. Pitcher's mouth. So the starting lines are introduced, national anthem, everything takes place. And Chad and, and the grounds crew out on the pitcher's mound doing work. And you're thinking, okay, they're just, you know, last second. They're getting it ready to go and we're going to play baseball. And all of a sudden, we see the managers talking. We see umpires involved, Chad's involved. 649. So it's a 635 first pitch, 649 game called. The pitcher's mound in rough shape, and there's nothing they can do about it. And it was like a light mist all day. It wasn't like a heavy <laughs> rain. I remember that. I remember it very vividly because – and I think we might have been a little at fault because we didn't get the tarp on super early, but we had it on, and we thought it was prepared, and the coaches didn't think it was safe. But, yeah. Um, Matt, give us another from your list of CAPCO, uh, the weirdest, strangest, most unique moments in your time with us. Well, I think of, okay, at some point we'll talk about stuff that's happened on the field 
I guess when I think off the field, I think of a pitcher, Eric King. He was a Milwaukee Panther who was supposed to make his season debut on, on June the 16th of that inaugural season, end up suffering an injury, falling downstairs while moving out of his college dorm. Now, injuries happen. Usually you expect them to happen on the field. That was one of the strange – I can remember being on a team bus. We're going somewhere or maybe, you know, leaving a homestand. And all of a sudden, he was supposed to be your starting pitcher and now having to quickly adjust because, hey, because of a moving out of your college dorm incident, mm-hmm. now you got to figure out what plan B, C, and D is. Yeah, it's there's always a lot of stories about these guys, whether they're stuck in the airport or, you know, sure. eligibility. and It just comes up either when they write when they get here or they're about to take the field, you know. We've had guys, too, that have been drafted right before the game. Um, a few of those guys yeah. have um, – I think it was – Looney, I think it was his last name. I can't think of his first name now. He was drafted by the Cubs, but he went out and finished his outing. He found out in the dugout that he got drafted. Um, last summer, Brendan McGuigan and Luke Sommerfeld found out right before the game started. They went out and performed. So, you know, these incidents come up while they're on their way here, when they're on the bus, when they're getting ready for the game. So a lot of unique situations with players year in, year out. Got two more I want to add quickly in this segment. And one of them was back in the inaugural season. You had field manager John Bonelich at the time. You know, you hear about players losing their jerseys or they forget them or they're stolen or whatever the case may be. First time I can recall a field manager. Now, I don't know what the real story is. Otherwise, I'd share it. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll throw it out there. But somehow he lost his white number 23 jersey I don't know what happened to it so we end up wearing number 11 for a couple of games we're just had been worn by Scott Wilcox who had just left the team maybe the week before and Scott Wilcox of course has the first hit in franchise history so you had John Bonelidge who went to number 11 and then eventually on that homestand the team ended up wearing their black unis for the duration so he could still wear his number 23 but I think they altered and, and, and changed their game plans to when they would wear white because of the fact that he didn't have his white jersey any longer so that was something that was kind of weird to, to see that from a field manager and, and not something like, like I said you often expect to, to, to see but I think another one that that I know you were going to mention too involves field manager Eddie Morgan and you go back to July 1st 2016 against Madison he got ejected he didn't say a whole heck of a lot he was mad with the inconsistent strike zone that night didn't say a whole heck of a lot walked back to the first base dugout you think the conversation's over all of a sudden, he walks back, doesn't say a peep, has a jacket, covers home plate, doesn't say anything, gets thrown out, walks away. And the, I think the best part about the fact that he got tossed is the fact that his son Isaac, who was the bat boy, then had to come out, take a jacket, clean up after his dad, and, and kind of walk back to the dugout while his dad was, was escorted out of there. But it, it was one of the, the quietest ejections I've ever seen because Eddie Morgan had some good ones throughout oh, yeah. his time with the Chinooks. But that was probably the quietest one he ever had in uh, – probably one of the more memorable ones you ever had I'm pretty sure Isaac apologized to the umpires too if I remember right <laughs> I didn't see it but somebody said he apologized to the home plate um but yeah I missed a lot of the good moments like that but you're lucky you get the in the press box see everything that happens on the field speaking of uniforms there's another one I couldn't pinpoint the year and I couldn't remember if it was because we were wearing a theme night jersey or it was just one of those years we started wearing the blue jersey but I remember our players came out about 6:15 um, to take the field for the rest of their pregame prep, and we both had the same color uniform on. And I don't remember who the team was or anything, but I remember coming to the field and then John King, our baseball operations, coming up and 
we looked at each other and we clearly had a problem because you can't play with the same uniform. So in a matter of 15 minutes, the guys had to rush off the field. I think the white uniforms had just gotten done from the game or the road trip before that. They changed and they came up. So we make a point every year to make sure now if we do a theme night or, you know, you got to coordinate your jerseys with the other team. So, um, and I, I believe there was another year that it happened again and we had to call the league to ask for permission. Um, I think Jeez. it was, it had to be our theme nights because I think it was one of the Jersey auctions. It was sponsored. So we had promised the sponsor that we'd be wearing them. I remember we called the league and begged them, you know, and the jerseys were a little different. You know, a lot of these teams have multicolored road jerseys and everything. So thankfully we were able to play. I'm going to say it was Battle Creek, I think. I'd have to, I'd have to dig deep into the memory, but we had the same It would make uniforms. sense because they had the, they always had the, the black tops. Yeah. With the uh, the white pants or the gray pants, depending on what year. But, but yeah, I was thinking because I, I, I saw that was on your list because you and I have talked, or at least we've exchanged lists, and I saw it, and I was – it wasn't clicking with me. I don't, I don't remember that moment per se, but then as you were talking, I'm just thinking in my mind, who would have had the same type of uniform? And I said a man, Cato, who the team did play a couple of times in interdivisional play. I mean, Battle Creek is the only one that, that I think logically would come, come to mind. Now, I don't know how often you stay in the press box after the game, and this is an incident that – um, well, you know what? We're going to have to take a break. Uh, our, we're doing this through Zoom, and I'm getting the notification that this first round is wrapping up. So we're going to continue Ooh. on the next story right after this break. More with Matt Menzel right here on the Chinooks Social Network. Back here on the Nook Nation podcast with the voice of the Lakeshore Chinooks, Matt Menzel. We had to have an abrupt ending to the first segment. Uh, we're all kind of adapting to the work at home and using Zoom for the first few times. So but we are back with the Nook Nation podcast. We are talking about the weirdest, the funniest, the strangest, and the most unique moments in Chinooks history. Um, I was kind of alluding to uh, your time in the press box after a game. I'm not sure how long you usually kind of digest everything and pack everything up, but um, an incident happened in 2012. We ask and hope that it doesn't happen ever again at Capitol Park. But were you present for the streaker? Yeah, you know, it's funny because often at a home game, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. And I, I don't stick around long. I mean, it's, it's one of those, I know i got to be back at the ballpark the next day. There's, there's other stuff to do, whatever the case may be. But the streaker, if I remember correctly, was in the inaugural season. Yep, and it was back then. You, you we used to have those those like mid afternoon Saturday games. If I remember correctly, if these if this is ringing a bell, it happened on one of those Saturdays, and the it's kids free, free got to run. Yeah, and the kids got to run the bases after the game. Yep, and I was yeah. around for it because I got to watch the the whole thing kind of play out. Yeah, so uh, I immediately saw Shannon and a few others kind of storm the field and. Um, apparently, a young man thought he'd be funny, and he participated in the base run and dropped his clothes at second base and then proceeded to go towards center field. He hopped the fence um, and into the woods beyond uh, center field at Capitol Park. Campus security was called. You know, they, there's usually three or four of them. They pull up, and uh, I remember I was standing out and by the road talking to one of them, and you would have thought something terribly 
happened at Capco Park because the amount of police officers that rolled up, <laughs> I don't know if it was a slow day in Mequon, but <laughs> I was waiting for the helicopter support. I was waiting for, I mean, there was probably seven or eight cop cars there um, to handle the streaker situation. Campus safety went out through the trails on their golf carts. They couldn't find the young man. The best part of this story is we're standing still on the road. Cop comes back and he goes, we'll get the dogs. And <laughs> sure enough, like the K-9 unit came and they had his clothes. And sure enough, a few minutes later, the young man's coming out in a, an overall coat that the police had. And you know, suddenly the, the story changed that his, his pants accidentally fell off during the kid's base run at second base. And instead of pulling them back up, I guess the best option was to remove all of his clothes and proceed to center field. Um, his buddy, who was holding the clothes at the time, insisted he never knew the guy. He was just holding the clothes for him. So a very nice gesture by that young man. But, boy, I tell you, we, we have the best response in the United States for a streaker because we're going to get campus safety. We're going to get about 10 or 12 police officers. So if you ever think of trying this. Extra, and the dogs. And the dogs. And canine units. Please think of that <laughs> because you're not going to make it out well nope. after this one. So. That kind of wraps up, I think, everything that's happened at Capco Park. Um, there's some other ones that we could get into, um, but we just don't have the time to do it today. But, you know, we front office usually plays a game called Where in the World is Dean Renneke? Back in the day, <laughs> the GM. Dean didn't handle uh, losses very well or losing. So, um, you know, we would kind of lay the lane so the team just wasn't performing well. I played the game of Where is Dean hiding? It was either behind <laughs> outfield or it was a fun game. We usually sent his wife or um, his son, Ben, to kind of console him on those tougher nights at Capco Park. Uh, let's go to kind of some of the strangest and weirdest things that have happened on field at Capco Park as, as far as the game action. Matt, why don't you uh, start us off there? Well, I think the one that, that jumps out immediately to me is, is just when you think of length of games. And, and, and the Chinooks have been at Capco Park, a part of the two longest game inning-wise in, in league history. And the longest, you know, you talk about the city of Mequon ordinance in that last segment. Okay, so – June 22nd, 2013, you have Madison at Chinooks. And the game is is going along fine, ninth inning. And I can admit this now, and, and those that were in the booth or heard the broadcast will be able to confirm this, but one of the better Madison hitters was retired for out number two. And I can remember seeing on the air, whoever's pitching that night for the Chinooks can take a, a deep breath knowing that that guy's out. Next guy up, bam, home run, game's tied, goes to extra innings. Of course, everybody groans in the booth, oh, yeah, extra innings. 3-3 three, three after 16 innings. The curfew comes into play at 11.06 is when the, you know, that, that 16th inning was completed. Well, Madison doesn't come back until July 12th. That's when the game was resumed. End up going 21 innings. Madison won the game 5-4. to four. But what people may not remember from that game is the fact you know, we're talking that last segment about Eddie Morgan being ejected. He got tossed in the ninth inning. So he didn't get to see the rest of that that first night. <laughs> he get to see the duration of that game on, on July 12th. So Eddie, you know, was there, had to leave, and then came back to the originally scheduled game on the 12th of July. Now, those games took then – those part one and part two took place in two different halves of the season, correct? That would be correct. So do you remember and, and the how – how they ruled that? Was it a first half, or did they just apply it to the second half? They applied it to the second half. And, and what was crazy about it, too, is the way things played out, Madison used the same pitcher 
they had used to end the game on June 22nd. He came back and started the continuation on July 12th. Otherwise, yet you know, roster lineup changes galore. There's 40-some players that play in that game among some of the other oddities from, from that, that day. But I'm proud to say, selfishly, I'm proud to say I'm the only one that broadcasted all 21 into that game because Madison Radio, because of other contractual obligations, could not do the continuation on July 12th. They were only scheduled to do the originally scheduled game that day. So because there was other programming on their ESPN radio affiliate, that was not broadcasted back in Madison. So the Chinook broadcast, the only one that consists of innings one through 21. And it's still a Northwoods League record today, I believe. Oh, by far. And then I think it's 18 innings or 19 innings thereafter. The Chinooks in Battle Creek a few years later would, would play in another game that was affected by the, the city of Pequot Ordinance. But, yeah, those are the two longest games in league history. And, you know, you get to a point – we've kind of talked about this before. You get to a point where, you know, some nights you do just want to get home. But when you get into that 14th, 15th, 16th inning, you're kind of like, all right, I'm all in. I want to see how long this thing can possibly go. And we had that for a few opportunities. I mean, we had we had interns literally sneak out of the ballpark and go get food and come <laughs> back, and we didn't even notice. Uh, there's been times where we've actually just sent the interns and the whole staff besides the front office home. I mean, it was – the five of us in the front office, you guys in the press box, and, the <laughs> and we just sat and watched baseball, you know, till the end of hours of the night. So um, I've always kind of enjoyed those games. Now I do believe there was a situation once at Battle Creek where we got delayed, either delayed or curfewed at our place, and they didn't come back. So we had to finish the game, I believe, in Battle Creek. Yeah, that happened. You know, it was a uh, that might have been the inaugural season too. There were bounced because. Back then, it seemed like the way the schedule was made, you tended to play teams in, you know, three, four, five straight games, and it, it seemed to alternate. Like, all of a sudden, you'd be playing Battle Creek at Capco Park for two, and then you might go to Battle Creek for three, but you'd play four or five days in a row, and, and you're right, it was late in the season. And uh, it's actually happened a couple of times to the Chinooks where the game's been banged by weather, it's been, been curfewed, whatever the case may be, and all of a sudden they finish the game or continue the game, at the other team's site, and there was one instance, and this might have been the Battle Creek game, where all of a sudden it took one or two pitches. It, it, it's all it took, and the Chinooks won the game on a walk-off on the other team's field, and that was all there was to it. So you go all the way that, that direction just to finish a game that you couldn't at your own home place in five or six hours. And we've had that happen at Capco Park, too. You know, we're there till 11 o'clock. We come back the next day. We have to, you know, we all yeah. the whole pregame schedule. We have to open gates early. Concessions have to be ready. I remember there was one year, it was like one or two pitches, and they hit a home run, and it was done. And I was like, all right, I guess we can proceed as normal with game two here. So <laughs> a lot of weird scenarios with the, the curfew and extra inning games. Probably the craziest on-field moment, I think, for us, and you can go into more detail on this one, uh, we were no hit by the Wisconsin Rapid, Rapid Raptors, and yet we still won. That was, you know, you go back to 2014, and then that team – Obviously, they were special because they won the championship, but they were special because they found so many unique ways to win games. And they, they again, were no hit, and they won a game. That was on July 15th of 2014 against Wisconsin Rapids. And, you know, what people don't remember about that game, and, again, I looked at my notes and was – to remember this is Wisconsin Rapids was late for the game. I mean, they, they got there, I mean, in time for the first pitch. But as far as their, their pregame routine, that was cut short because their bus started on fire. They had, they had to wait for a bus to come pick them up so they get the Mequon. So they didn't get to, to Capco Park until very close to game time. And then you have a kid by the name of 
Dominic Mazza take the mound yeah. and he ended up throwing the 18th no hitter in Northwood league history. And, and it was funny because when he pitched that no hitter on July 15th of 2014, it was exactly one year to the day that the previous Northwood league no hitter had taken place. But also what was crazy about that game is Wisconsin Rapids was very close to being no hit. They only had one hit the entire game, which came in the fourth inning. So between the two teams, there was one hit and you go back to that year and, and, the Chinooks also won a game with only one hit, and that was an extra inning game against Battle Creek. So, again, they found more unique ways to win games. It didn't matter how many hits were on the board. They were able to find ways to manufacture runs. And we have never had a no-hitter in Chinooks history. We sniffed it once. I believe it was in 2013. Uh, you texted me about this earlier today, uh, and it was Chase Chancellor, right? Well, what happened was is this was May 31st of 2013. Kyle Bowman was the starting pitcher. Yes. And it was against Green Bay. And I remember, you know, going into the game, we were all given a heads up that, hey, there are scouts here. They want to see this pitcher that we may only have for, you know, this game. We'll have to wait and see because he is high on everybody's, you know, draft boards. And that kid was Jace Chancellor. Well, what happened was Kyle – I mean, he was just cruising against Green Bay. Kyle Bowman was cruising against the Bullfrogs. And all of a sudden, he's got no hitter through eight innings. But the game was scoreless. The problem is, is in, in, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, but Dean Renneke, I know, has admitted in the past, this might be his, one, you know, one of his bigger mistakes. You know, he promised the scouts that Jace Chancellor would pitch. So guess what? There's no guarantee that the Schnooks won't walk it off in the bottom of the ninth. So Kyle Bauman gets yanked from the game. I think it's the only time that you will see. And, and the pitch count wasn't a factor either. I mean, he was oh. cruising. And, and he had a, a no-hitter through eight. Game was scoreless. Ended up going extra innings. Green Bay wins the game 1-0 and 11. Both teams end up with three hits. But, but Jace came in there and almost right away gave up a hit. He ended up making seven appearances for the Chinooks. And later that year was drafted in, I think, the 28th round by the San Diego Padres. And he became a ghost ever since. If you can dig yeah. up anything on the career of him after the draft, please send it to us. But, I mean, he had, he had a great I have it. I have it for you. 2016, really? he was a Fort Wayne tin cap, and he was uh, weighed by the tin caps. That was the last time uh, he has any kind of a minor league uh, history, 2016. So a very short stint in minor league yeah. baseball. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't always know everything that's going on in the field day to day, but we, we knew that Chase is coming. It was his first day. You know, he, we basically signed him for this opportunity to play in front of scouts. We had arranged it with scouts in the areas. There's multiple guys there. And so everybody was well aware of it. And then, you know, the sixth inning, you start to notice it. And I remember just looking at Dean's face every inning that went by. You could just see him like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, I, you know, there's multiple scouts here. And we weren't sure if he was going to be around. You know, scouts couldn't, might not have been able to be there another day. We didn't know how long Chase is going to be there. So, unfortunately, we had to pull him. Uh, Kyle went on to be an all-star, though, that year. He had a great season with us. Um, but we wait for the day for our first uh, no-hitter at Capco Park. I think probably the craziest three days in Chinook's history has to come from Owen Miller when you're talking game action. That's two cycles in three days. Yeah, go figure. I mean, July 3rd, July 5th of 2017, and the first time he did it, he did it on the road in Michigan, comes back here, and, and I don't know what it was about 
the Rockford Rivets. But the Chinooks were able to just uh, destroy all of Rockford's pitching that night and 20 runs plus in that contest. And, 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 and back you up a little bit, the first and only triple play in team history occurred earlier in that game. And, and yep. I vaguely remember the triple play. And I, and I say that because I was off that inning. That's when I worked with Kevin Winter. We flip-flop innings, and it happened during one of his innings. And usually I'm, I'm either in the booth watching, maybe chiming in, or I just, you know, I'm walking around the booth talking to somebody else. I saw the triple play, did not call the triple play, but it, it did happen in that same game on July 5th before Owen Miller eventually hit for the cycle in the eighth inning. He got that last hit. He needed a triple. And if you remember in that eighth inning, he batted once, didn't get the triple, yeah. but they batted around the order. And it's so happened he got the bat again, and he got a triple. And you could tell, too, the way he hit that ball. I mean, it was destined to be a triple, but he wasn't going to stop at second base. It was going to be all or nothing. And, I, I mean, I, I lost all professionalism when he got to third base because you just couldn't believe this just happened a second time in three days, let alone by the same player, let alone that he got an opportunity to bat a second time in that same inning. And, you know, it was a weeknight, early weeknight. We didn't have a huge crowd. It was getting late. Uh, so it was really just the staff, the interns, and our diehards. But it was the most fun I think I've had watching a game outside of a playoff game at Capitol Park, just watching him try to get that cycling, like you mentioned, batting around and the runs coming in. And I don't think a lot of the fans and teams noticed right away that it was a triple play at first. Like, it happened, and I think it took a while for everyone to kind of register, like, I think they just got a triple play. Because I remember the players were kind of quiet in the dugout, and after a while, I think they started to pick up on, oh, we got a triple play right there. So it wasn't a quick – they no, realized I, it immediately. And I remember Kevin's call because I remember standing behind him when he called it, and even he was kind of – it didn't hit him at first. And all of a sudden he goes, it's a triple play. Kind of kind of it surprised him at first. I think it surprised all of us because, you know, sometimes, you know, over the course of a baseball game, you, you know, you get lulled to sleep or you daydream a little bit, and you're thinking, oh – you know, they're flipping the ball around the horn. And, you know, they already got one out. Maybe it's a double play. You forget, oh, there's nobody out. Bing, bang, boom. And, and you're right. Even I think some of the guys hesitated to, to jog off the field right away. But, yeah, a triple play. And, and it, by the way, it happened to Rockford, too. I think the exact same order in that triple play, too, just a week or so before, I think against Battle Creek. So, Rockford had it happen to him twice in about a week span. Yeah. Yeah. We had Rockford's number uh, in 2017 for sure. You know, and another thing that was pretty amazing with Owen Miller's cycle, it didn't get picked up by anybody. I mean, we, our media team was working, local media outlets, you know, Facebook and Twitter, ESPN. I mean, I don't care what level it is. To do two cycles in three days is unheard of of any level of baseball. Well, another thing, too, about it, you know, I know one of the news channels ended up doing a story about it about a week or so later, but not that night. The other thing about it, it'd be one thing, too, you know, okay, fine, other things are going on. The fact of the matter is, this is a local product. It's not as though we're promoting, A, it's a Snook player, but it's also a guy that's from southeast Wisconsin. So I think that was the other thing that was, that was, was you know, kind of surprising about it is it, it's a win-win situation. It, it's a story about a Snook player, but it's a guy, a guy that's from this area. And you're right, as far as that day goes, you heard nothing. I mean, it was, I mean, absolutely no you know, media coverage whatsoever of a, a feat that good luck on seeing be repeated especially twice in the three-day stretch. I think my last one, as far as uh, crazy moments on the field in Chinook's history, it came on July 4th, I believe it was 2015, Kalamazoo, against Kalamazoo in Kalamazoo. Yeah. Lucas Raley, our team MVP, he hit four home runs, 
similar to two cycles in three days, you're not going to get very many guys to hit four home runs in a single game. And I remember I kept seeing the Twitter updates, and I thought I was seeing things. I couldn't believe it. But four home runs in one game. About a week later, Lucas, Lucas Raley and the team had their trading card photos, and he was standing there with one bat, and I stopped the photographer. I went and grabbed three more bats, and I said, you need to take your card with four bats in your picture since you had four home runs. Well, I wasn't there, but I have to, I have to you know, jog my memory a little bit. But if, if memory serves me correctly, they were playing a doubleheader. And yeah. so, on top of it, he did it four times in one game that lasted seven innings. So, we're not even talking a nine-inning game. And if, that might have been the year, too, Kalamazoo had the serious flooding. And so, all their games got backed up. And next thing you know, they had doubleheaders galore. But you're right. I mean, it's something to hit one, two, maybe three in a game you hear every now and then. But four, let alone in seven innings. I mean, so many things have to go your direction for that to be accomplished. And, and, and I'll, I'll say right here, I have no problem admitting or saying, I would put money, and we don't bet here, but that's not going to be duplicated. I just, I just don't see that being duplicated. Too many things have to happen for that to occur, and I, it, it's just not going to happen. I would completely agree. Anything else game action related from your time with the Chinooks over the past eight seasons that really stands out as, wow, I can't believe that happened? I mean, it's not a, not a huge story, but just, I guess, one thing that stands out, we talk about, you know, hitting for the cycle and triples and certainly Capco Park the dimensions are, are triple friendly, but Jake Knoll, you go back to June 24th of 2014 and inside the park home run at Capco Park against Battle Creek. And I bring it up because again, even though, you know, Capco Park is a bigger park and you don't see a ton of home runs per se, although this past summer might, you know, argue at that point, but you don't see the ball fly out of the ballpark a ton and inside the park, home run is just as rare. And Jake Knoll hit one back in uh, June of 2014. So I guess that's one of the things that jumps out. Another thing that jumps out quickly is just uh, the story of Aiden Wojciechowski. He's oh, yeah. a, a uh, you know, Chinook webcast intern in 2016, turned eventual pitcher a couple of years later. On top of the fact, he also kind of helped out the coaching staff a year after that. And to add to all that on his resume – he was part of a barbershop quartet that sang the National Anthem before a number of games in 2016. And even the year he pitched, he sang the National Anthem. So, I mean, the kid was a jack-of-all-trades and left his mark in a variety of areas with this team. And his performance, which stands out the most, it was a kids' and seniors' day. It was a day game, doubleheader, against Kenosha. And Aiden was a one- or two-inning guy, and he ended up going like six innings of scoreless ball. And you just unfortunately, that last inning he pitched, he gave up a run. Uh, I think we ended up losing the game. But he was just completely out of gas. But I've never seen an individual give it his all on that mound like he did that day. I mean, that was his moment to shine at Capco Park. He got a standing ovation from everybody in the stadium when he walked off, even from the other team. Uh, just an awesome story in Aiden. And probably one of the more memorable games I remember for day games at Capco Park. Yeah, and it was a necessity, too, because I, I think that was one of those day-night home-and-home doubleheaders. So there wasn't much on the back end for that second game. So out of necessity, he had a pitch. And, you know, we can talk in another podcast about pitching performances, but if you look throughout the history, there are a number of instances like that Ian Wojciechowski pitching performance where you've had guys with out-of-body experiences, out of necessity, that have come up big in a variety of ways. Playoffs, great example back in 2014. And the Wojciechowski name will continue on this year. His brother is actually going to be an intern with the Chinooks this summer. Granted, we're able to play the – 2020 season. I think you want to end things with probably the most nightmare story we've ever had in eight years. You know, we've had 
a lot of little mishaps and and errors in the off season. You know, there was one year our, our poor interns delivered our season ticket book list to the completely wrong customers. Uh, it was Memorial <laughs> Day weekend, about Friday night at seven o'clock, that I got the the call, and you know. Over the weekend, we had to go back and redistribute all of them. Uh, there was one year, unfortunately, our season ticket book list, the computer program, um, shifted the team name every time. And it was actually the mayor of Mequon at the time, Kirk Gilo, who, you know, a week and a half out, he texted me probably at like midnight and says, I think there's something wrong with your ticket book list. And this was probably the second year. And, you know, we looked at it first thing in the morning and we asked some other season ticket holders. And sure enough, we found that everything was printed wrong. And, Boy, our graphic designer, Andy, and myself, I think we're both in that parking lot that morning ready to puke somewhere just because we had seven days to reprint these booklets. So uh, I think we reprinted the first two games, got those to the season ticket holders, then the new booklets came. So, you know, there's a lot of manpower that goes into getting a Chinook season off the ground. So, but probably the craziest story ever. Matt, do you remember the year with the scheduling error? I do. I, I don't exactly remember what year it was, but I, I do. And I know it was during the Dean Renicky era. Yeah, I'm going to say it was 2015. Um, that was not about right. We get our schedule usually mid-November, and I'm going to say this was probably late April, early May. And, you know, we kept noticing the schedule graphic on the front of our website. There's a certain date in July I kept saying that we were in Eau Claire. We would request the league would change it. And then on the other side of it, Eau Claire staff would notice, hey, I think our schedule's wrong. It says that we're playing at Lakeshore. So we got changed. So eventually, uh, Andy Naborak, GM of the Express, and Dean Renicky and, and myself and Jacob Nelson, we noticed that both teams were scheduled to play at home on the same night, also being five and a half hours apart. Granted, there's been tickets sold. There's been sponsorships, theme nights. And we went for days to try to figure out a solution. You know, we talked to Eau Claire and they were hosting, I think it was like a 10 year anniversary with their players <laughs> that night. You know, we had big plans that night. It was a big Saturday night in July. It wasn't just a Monday night. Like you didn't want to sacrifice a Saturday night in July. And it was one of those, like, I can't believe we missed it. I can't believe the league didn't pick up on it. It was a nightmare scenario. I mean, we came up with every scenario. We talked about splitting uh, the team into split squads. Half would come to Eau Claire, half would go to Express. And eventually it came down to a coin flip. And I don't remember, I believe Eau Claire, we decided to just let Eau Claire have it because their 10th anniversary. But boy, nightmare scenario. We check our schedule 20,000 times and we get it just so something like that doesn't ever happen again. Well, I think too, if I remember correctly, I know I say this a lot, remember correctly, because, you know, you, you look back at the first eight years, and there's so many things to remember and so many little details. But I think later on in that year, they had to make clear that there was a game that was supposed to be in Eau Claire that was now at Capco Park in case that wasn't clear on schedule. So, you know, it was one of those where you had to get the word out to make sure everybody was on the same page. Yeah, we've had little, you know, things, errors like that, you know, in the past when we started to do those day-night doubleheaders or – you know, sometimes our schedule looked like we were maybe in Kenosha all day. So I remember we usually draw really good in late July. And I believe we were in Kenosha in the morning and we had a game at Capco Park at night. And the way it was kind of laid out in our schedule, for some reason, no one thought we had a game at home. So here's late July and there's nobody there and we couldn't figure out what happened. And we kind of chalked it up to people thought we were playing a doubleheader in Kenosha. So thankfully those home and away doubleheaders are. They're gone. 
Yeah, I mean, every time it was extra innings and <laughs> no suddenly, and then you got to get through Milwaukee traffic, and then you get to Kenosha, and it seemed like every year we got to Kenosha, the storms rolled in, the dugouts yep. flooded. I mean, it's they were just nightmare scenarios, and and we didn't have the worst of it. You know, you hear other teams, Duluth and uh, Thunder Bay played home and away. They crossed the border twice in one day to play baseball. <laughs> just crazy stories uh, for the home and away doubleheaders. So. Well, Matt, thanks for the time today. Uh, hopefully, uh, we kept you entertained for a little bit while you're sheltering at home. We hope every all of our fans, a part of Nook Nation, are staying safe at home as well. We'll continue to try to provide you guys updates in the coming weeks as the North of Leagues provides them. Uh, we got a lot of fun content, hopefully, in place. We're going to try to do some Q&As with some of our alumni in the MLB and the minors and some other familiar faces in the past. So uh, we hope everyone stays sane. And uh, anything else you want to add, Matt? No, I just thanks for the time, Eric, and uh, Nook Nation, and hopefully we'll see you guys at Capco Park in the not-too-distant future. All right. He is Matt Menzel, the voice of the Lakeshore Chinooks. I'm Eric Snodgrass, and we will be right back here hopefully soon with another brand-new episode of the Nook Nation podcast right here on the Chinooks Social Network.